Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. <laughs> Cue trailer. I want to talk to somebody in charge. You are not fooling anybody when you say that what happened was a natural disaster. You're lying. It was not an earthquake. It wasn't a typhoon. 
Because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. And it is gonna send us back to the Stone Age. God help us all. In 1954, we awakened something. Well, there's nuclear tests in the Pacific. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. You have no idea what's coming. The arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control. And not the other way around. Welcome, everybody, gentlemen. Thank you for joining uh, this, uh, this uh, esteemed uh, gathering. How is everybody? Good. You doing Thank okay? You. We feeling good? Yes. It sounds like nobody's feeling all that great, except for Tom. <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's Tommy Handsome right there. Hello, friends. Hello, Tommy Handsome. Uh, and the, uh, I assume, silent and grumpy... Steve Sarmento. That's true. You usually call me the kindly, and I don't think that's going to apply this week. I don't think it is. I, I can feel your energy from here. <laughs> uh, Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Ooh, I it's, like that catchphrase. Uh, <laughs> trademark that. That's this right. is uh, This is the next reel, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to find out more about the show, head over to thenextreel.com. You can uh, read the uh, the blog stylings of uh, the goodly, kindly, once and future king, Steve Sarmento, present and accounted for. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can join the conversation in all our various social platforms. And now, uh, for those of you who have already liked us on Pinterest, Pinterest. Uh, now you can actually listen to the show on Pinterest. We're starting to post the show on Pinterest. What do you think about that, Pinterest lovers? Wow. Uh, Fantastic. Fantastic. What's Pinterest? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tommy, oh, you're still Tom. not entirely sure whether or not this is actually a recorded event that you can listen to <laughs> later. And, and I, I always assumed this was live radio. <laughs> we just blindfold him and tell him we're just sitting in a restaurant having pie. Right. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, so uh, here's the thing. This is a uh, our special edition uh, event here, our monthly uh, gathering where we talk about uh, we're talking about Godzilla, Godzilla, mm. 2014. Uh, I'm very excited to hear where you guys stand on this movie. Very excited indeed. How excited are you? Sorry, I thought it was a big. <laughs> I thought it was a bit that we were show. doing a thing. No, I got nothing to uh, to, uh, yeah, to come back to that. Uh, but I I I, I want to start with the the concept. All right, before we talk about execution, uh, because we've had a lot of opportunities for people to kind of have their hand at Godzilla, have their hand at monster movies, have their hand at this property in particular. Uh, this is not the um, the Broderick version. Of God, this ain't no Broderick Godzilla. Snap, right? Yep. How do you guys feel about the concept 
that they went with in this film. And and actually, we should start by maybe, uh, how about Andy, could you just give us a recap of, of kind of how they handle, and I should say, spoilers begin effective immediately. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there are three no. and lots of babies. It's uh, yeah, it's, you know, Godzilla uh, rises from the water to stop two uh, Muto that rise from the water or rise and appear uh, eating nuclear waste. And uh, that's that's really the story. Godzilla is a force of nature designed to help rein in the system when other evil forces of nature uh, rise. And then we have the humans who try to figure out what the hell's going on. Okay, any anybody here, was anybody here a big fan of the original Godzilla? I'm sorry, I've never seen it. I never grew up watching any Godzilla movies. I've only seen Godzilla 1985, and I don't think that's a fair representation of it. And, well, and the Matthew Broderick one, but I don't really count that. Oh, no, I grew up on the, the old ones. They were always on, like, WGN or whatever, yeah, like right. on Saturday afternoons. Right. And, yeah, I've seen, you know, with Mothra and, you know, yeah, no, I've, it's been a long time since I've seen them. But, yeah, really always in, enjoyed man in suit, you know, destroying the city. Well, okay, so that's my <laughs> that's my question then, Steve. And then I guess this is for just you and me. Uh, is is uh, How did the, the concept of making this Godzilla— it, I mean, this really felt very much more like a uh, sort of a uh, part of the a, a series, uh, like they're trying to, to make it part of canon. Yeah, this. I mean, I've heard this referred to as a reboot, and, I, and it's not really because I think even the, the the title sequence, the opening credits, they're they're establishing that that history going back to you know the original Godzilla film, and that there's a continuity of of you know the the chronology and and everything. So that's the you know sort of initiating circumstance that we see, and it, it, the story takes us up to the present, but it's definitely tied to that past. It's not, oh, forget everything. This is a completely new universe with an entirely new creature. And I think even the design of Godzilla, you can see that they went back to sort of the origins as opposed to what they did in the 98 version, which didn't really bear a resemblance to the original Godzilla monster design. I think there there were some similarities in this one. So I think it was, to me, very intentional to have that connection. If I recall... The 98 Godzilla had a, a monstrous underbite. It was very lizard. I mean, yeah. I think they really kind of were patterning after some of those monitor lizards that live on some of those, uh, you know, Pacific islands. And they kind yeah. of were, I think they were trying to be a little more, quote unquote, realistic as far as take this lizard. What would happen to it if radiation caused it to right. enlarge? And they removed the whole aspect of person in suit look. Yes. And well, I think that's what bothered people so much. Well, I, you know, I found myself really uh, more bothered uh, this time by the mon- by the creature. Am I alone? I, I think you're alone. I I liked it quite a bit. Compared to the man in the suit, or well, okay, better than the man in the suit. But I actually I found myself wondering. Uh, I, you know, it, it was close enough to the man in the suit. I, you know, we're going to, we'll talk more about that in a minute. I just, I felt like the monster was in many ways, one of what I call the two betrayals of this film. Mm. Do tell. Well, the, <laughs> the first for me, the, the you know, the, the I, I want to wrap up this conversation about the, con- about the concept. I, uh, you know, we, 
we go into this film, I it, like you say, Andy, I feel like I was expecting a reboot, and it ends up being uh, this um, much more of a uh, sequel uh, where we now get to experience the, you know, the 50-year-later um, repercussions of, you know, what we've done. And I sort of feel like, uh, oh, my gosh, the Cloverfield monster's here, and mm. so now Godzilla is going to be our Terminator 2, come with me if you want to live, um, <laughs> is, really became kind of a, a frustrating kind of trope for me in this film. I, you know, I didn't find the film scary. I didn't, uh, now granted, I didn't find the, the 68 or whatever uh, Godzilla scary or the other ones, but I felt like it, it lost a lot of the intensity because of that turn. Um, because they they tried to to make this this sort of Godzilla is the natural balancing figure, um, is such a prominent theme for me. Well, I, def- I, but wasn't I, that what happened to the Godzilla series? I mean, aside from the first one, which was you know Godzilla the monster coming in destroying everything. Yeah. But after that, I mean, it became monster after monster after monster that came in to to stomp all over everything. And uh, Godzilla was, I don't want to call him the hero monster because he was still destroying things, but, I mean, he was really the one who would come in and stop Mothra from destroying the city. I mean, that's my understanding of them. You guys watched them more than I did, but... Yeah, see, that's what I wasn't prepared for. I really thought this was going to be us versus Godzilla. And, again, I already said I didn't grow up with it, so that's my my personal problem and i'm working on it (laughs) what um but the idea of that i thought it was going to be much more like cloverfield and that it's us versus godzilla and then when we just had these other monsters then it was monsters fighting monsters i really wanted personally um a humans fighting monsters not monsters fighting monsters whereas in this film and again i did i did end up really liking it but it was just like the humans were so like did nothing <laughs> the humans just were a part of operation get out of the way right and eventually it was so overt that the human they literally had a give up speech right <laughs> they, they literally said we're done we're gonna just throw in the towel and see what happens uh and and that i i sort of uh, i don't know <laughs> i was just sort of weak sauce i you know i i feel like so much of this film and and maybe this is me going back to kind of the the original cultural gestalt of of godzilla you know there's so much ripe cultural material about man versus technology and what has technology wrought uh it, it is still such a a a, a prominent theme today every bit as much as it was when we're dealing with sort of the nuclear uh, the rise of nuclear power and i feel like they missed the boat a little bit it they just softened it up to the point where I, I i just didn't get that that feeling of intensity so that's the the first part where i felt kind of fell apart does anybody have any comments to that or other otherwise i'll steamroll into to my the the form of my betrayal it brought up the anxiety in the opening credits 
about nuclear and stuff like that, but only because of that old, that always kind of old footage of men being like, we're going to sit next to a atomic bomb. Let's put on sunglasses. Like right. that creepy, like we don't know what we're doing. Thank God we're saving but, our eyeballs. <clears throat> right. But we're so confident in what we're doing. Uh, that kind of that whole thing was based on all of that anxiety is and so much of like what you said about sci-fi um, science fiction, which is like just because we can, maybe we shouldn't kind right. of a thing like what man was not meant to know. I really felt that in the beginning, and then that kind of went away. Well, you yeah. know why it goes away? It's because we have these major characters who already know how it unfolds, right? I mean, they already get it. Uh, and, and I don't feel like we were led particularly cleanly down that, that path of, of being able to discover uh, with the major kind of characters in a way that, that was terribly strong. You, you, well, what you're saying is that that Ken, Godzilla Ken was supposed to be particular. well that that Godzilla is supposed to be the good monster fighting. It, you, you would have liked to have seen it where all the humans think that there's these three monsters now that are going to be destroying us, and over the course of the film, they come to learn, oh, Godzilla is actually working in our favor. Look at the and lovable that, and that dope, is, and that is the movie. Right, but I don't think I think that they come to it right away saying, no, he's 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 here to help us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's yeah, my, I can, that's I my sense that. of it. Like, it just doesn't allow us to build to that that intensity. And I think that goes in line. I'm, I, this is the, the the piece that's really been bothering me. I, I feel like I'm perseverating on that last bit, you know, way too long. The the real thing that bothers me is how they handled the reveal of the monster in the film. Hmm. And I, I'm trying to figure out a, how, why this bothers me so much. Which, it, which monster? Godzilla? Godzilla in particular, right? Okay. It feels like they, they have separated two elements of the monster. One is the monster's look, right? The, the full reveal of the monster, which, of course, we'd already seen because of stupid commercials and things. And, and really dopey trailers that gave the story away. Um, hmm. But the, then they gave us the... I made those trailers. <laughs> what? Sorry, I was just talking to myself. I thought they were really good. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, you know, I, I, I actually thought they were good too, and I, I, I'm frustrated about them because I feel like, um, well, we'll talk about that too. Listen to me. I'm like negative everything today, um, but I, they separated that with the action of the monster, and the result ends up being this very strange sense that every sequence leading up to kind of the third act every sequence where we see the monster getting ready to do something interesting cuts away at a really terrible moment hmm. did you not get that feeling like they they do this pan up on the monster the first time the monster sees the first muto and uh and then they muto. they I cut away as the monster's screaming and the foot comes down they cut away from the fight completely and cut to the kid watching tv and they do that multiple times throughout the movie, right where it gets good, right where we want to see monster-on-monster monster action. They cut away to these people that we you know, end up not caring as much about. I'm, I understand what you're saying. For me personally, I was really a big fan of that, surprisingly. <clears throat> in the same way that we don't see Jaws for forever, in the same way that in Cloverfield, the movie that I thought I was going to see and didn't, that you never get a really good look 
at the the uh, monster for very organic reasons until pretty late in the film. I think that's really effective, personally. But see, Tom, that's the difference, though. I totally agree with you. But they already gave us the monster. They gave us the monster. We'd seen the monster. All of it. We've seen it oh. scream. And then they cut oh, away right when it, he's... And then now and they're then playing, now they're playing Yes, now they're not letting us see what it can do. And I think that's a that was oh, that's an intentional risk. Like, it feels very much like an intentional risk. But that's why I'm so interested in what you guys thought of that. Because it, if it struck you at all, to me, it was enormously frustrating. And not in a good way. I guess I don't remember seeing the full, full Godzilla. And, and we have to stop saying monster because there's so many yeah, you're monsters right. in this right. film. But I don't remember seeing it seeing it and then them playing it cagey and maybe that was just a different maybe i just didn't notice it i I think it was just the fights that were cagey it didn't seem it didn't bother me at uh really i mean i i noticed it for sure that they kept cutting and i felt it was a filmmaker technique like tommy was saying to just you know we revealed the monster and we're going to just hint at the fight to save the big all the fighting for the third act um, it was a little frustrating. It didn't bug me too much, but it sure bugged some of the people sitting around me. Uh-huh. Every time the, the the they cut away from the fight, they were like, "Oh man!" Yeah, like like that's what they were there for is to see the monster fight. They wanted to see Pacific Rim. Yeah. Okay. And true to form, Pacific Rim nailed it on that front. Too bad it wasn't a good movie. Right. <laughs> you just stop right there. <laughs> Uh, well, Steve, okay. why have you been so quiet? I feel like you're you're no, no, you're no, storing they're, they're, up rage toward me. No, 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 no. Actually, <laughs> no. I mean, there's Steve. I, show us on the Pete doll where he hurt you. <laughs> well, I, I, I there were some choices. For example, when the uh, when we're following, um, I'm gonna I'm horrible with names. The nurse was that. That's one of the Olsons. That's Elizabeth Mary, Olsen. Uh, Elizabeth. No. Yes. So as she's running with that crowd, and then we see. You know, Godzilla and one of the Mutos coming together and then the, as the door shut. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. We're going to cut to something different. And it's the TV, and I thought, okay, we're going to play that game. But to me, at that point, the movie had already become something different. And that's why I think, there, Andy, so many people were disappointed because tonally the movie had shifted into its, you know, it's big summer time. thing. And to me, this movie reminded me so much of last summer's The Wolverine where – the beginning had so much potential, and there was such an interesting story, and then suddenly we shifted gears, and it became things that I'd seen before. I don't want to say I was bored, but, yeah, the, the fight scenes, were they paled in comparison to what I saw in Pacific Rim. And Steve, I thought, not wow. a fan. So you're not a fan of the movie. I couldn't have, I wouldn't have I, guessed that. That's I enjoyed, awesome. I enjoyed the first half. Yeah. And then once we got to... Hey kid, you better not make me list, miss my plane. I thought, okay, <laughs> we've come off the, the rails. If, literally, then the tra- you know, yes, yeah. and then it became an entirely different movie. And I didn't care about Ford and his his quest to get home. I really wasn't that invested in him. I was really invested in these scientists and this whole theory and the fact that you know, uh, you know, Ken Watanabe's character is like, I need those guys. I don't know who they are. They've got information I need. And what's on these mysterious disks? And there's this exploration, this investigation, these theories. There's They're trying to piece this together. And then once the monsters show up, it's like he disappears from the movie completely. And, and I, I lost interest because his story was the one that I thought was the most compelling of 
he discovered these things. They'd made some bad choices. Okay, what 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 does he do? He's you know he's the one that's culpable. I mean, they knew they had this thing, and they're feeding it this radiation for, you know. We're, we're worried about, you know, radiation contamination. This thing was absorbing it all. So we, we took that choice, you know, to, to risk, you know, this thing hatching into something, but, you know, at the risk of, you know, millions of people being, you know, killed by this radiation. So, whoops, that turned out to be a bad thing. And we never get to, how does he feel about this? What, you know, what is his role other than t- reminding the military, hey, you know, there's this balance of nature thing. Yeah, yeah, shut up. We're going to go do what we want to do anyway. And honestly, all those scenes with the military bored me every time we got back on the boat you know and it's like hey we're gonna move this here we're gonna i i didn't care because i knew none of it was gonna matter because the monsters were gonna fight themselves we were gonna be pushed off to the side and you know Mm. Mm. captain exposition and you know and this you know oh son how is it going dropping bombs dad i don't drop bombs i disarm them i thought oh well okay now i'm glad we got that information up front because clearly he's gonna have to disarm something later on that's why he's crucial to the military there were just so many just it feel felt really pieced together thought there was initial concept that had some potential and they just wasted it and it reminded me of wolverine and that and you know that's i was excited and then sad and then yeah there was some mediocre monster fights and eh. that's what i thought was the best part was the monster fights i mean what i i agree with you that the first part is really very exciting and i really enjoyed everything in the beginning i loved that main characters who i felt were going to be key characters through the film kept getting killed yeah i mean i really enjoyed all of that and then and then we get to uh aaron taylor johnson who i was just felt was just awful and boring Pretty low energy. Oh, you guys, yes. Yeah, he was just, he was I really liked him in Kick-Ass, but this was just like, he was just sort of had a weird tough guy street accent, and he was just not, very handsome, not captivating. Yeah, and his kind of dead behind the eyes sort of look just didn't work for me. And I would much rather have just followed Elizabeth Olsen, because I I found her much more interesting. I Mm -hmm. found Ken Watanabe and uh, Sally Hawkins much more interesting. Oh, yeah. All of those people I found more interesting. Oh, I know. Ken Watanabe, all he did in the last... Pretty much the last half of the film is just walk around looking concerned. Boy, he looked concerned a lot. Yeah. But can then, I say? Can I say? I'm sorry. Can I say my one thing about yes. Ken Watanabe so I don't forget about it? The one thing, the first thing that I learned about this movie is if you make a Godzilla movie, the only person that should say the word Godzilla out loud is <laughs> Ken Watanabe. Yes. Because when the really talented David Strathairn says Godzilla, oh, it sounds horrible. so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like it just broke, yes. I just broke out laughing. He was just like, yeah, clipboard, this, this. And where's Godzilla? And I was like, well, all right. I'm officially watching a movie and this blows <laughs> oh, yeah it's yeah it just yeah I, the, and, go ahead but, Steve, finish your thought uh, i was just gonna say no and i mean you're, you're right on there are a lot of underutilized characters and yeah there are a lot of other choices that i think could have been made you know just story-wise of who are we following and why why are their stories interesting and yeah i was really thrilled with okay we've got brian cranston and whoa now we don't have brian cranston so you know then i'm expecting the story to transition to our team of scientists that we've you know seen since the you know very beginning of the movie that we're going to follow them through this and how they're going to solve this mess they sort of started not you know captain boring 
you know, through, you know, his trials and tribulations of riding along on a train. Although I do have to say the, uh, the halo sequence when they're coming down to the city. So great. That was great. That was beautiful. The music is those red streams are coming up. Beautiful. Gorgeous. Other than that, the film was filled with a lot of dumb stuff and inexplicable human things. I felt the military was like so weird of like, why are we transporting nuclear weapons by train or like Amazon when in the very next scene (laughs) they're being lifted? Amazon? By Amazon. I think there was a scene in there. I think there's a dot com. Yeah, they just put it in one of their big lockers. Yeah, exactly, because it's free shipping with Prime, guys. Uh, but also, like, yeah, but then the very next seat, it's being lifted by a helicopter. Right. Like, all of that stuff. But I just, that was my bitchy way of saying, agreeing with Steve. I think it was what he was saying at the very end. There were some really, really effective moments. The Halo sequence was one. Like, I think the film was, at times, incredibly well-directed. Well, this is, I I think this gets back to my challenge because I agree with you. There were, there were for me some major set pieces that were really interesting to watch. And Mm -hmm. I did, I actually really liked the, uh, you know, them walking on the train, uh, on the train rail sequence with the guys on the bridge and down below and the dropping of the flashlight. Like there was some really kind of intense stuff going on there. I, I thought that was great. The halo sequence was also agreed. Totally fantastic. The big betrayal for me is, is like Steve, this is the first of the big betrayal trails this movie was pitched as a brian cranston film right this movie that's why i was there his intensity i find him a fascinating actor and that they killed him and handed him off to a dumb hunk is a (laughs) massive betrayal to the first half of the story which goes unresolved for me like they just turned it into this bs (laughs) and they they let go of what what could have been a fantastically intelligent approach to man versus technology or machine or whatever you want to call it and and i think they just absolutely failed on that front now does that make the movie uh, you know terrible i actually you know i i found it sadly boring for much of it and then kind of it would spike in excitement but uh you know so it was it was a fun kind of showpiece to watch but they got rid of the most important element for me the only character i really cared about uh so early that I, i just i was done well, here, I'll here. say as a caveat that to that, though, I I actually really like that they got rid of him because I, I thought that was a really ballsy move to to do something like that. Now, unfortunately, they don't live up to the to the promise. That's right. It's only and ballsy it, if you have somebody who can carry it, and they had well, no, no one and, else who could no, carry it. No, it was it, yeah, it was ballsy to do. It was just it, they failed at it, and because and that's the, that's the, the sun isn't a good yeah. If if right. they had passed the torch to Ken Watanabe. Then yes. I think that they could have made it into something that that was much more solid. And didn't you expect that a little bit, Andy? Yeah, oh, I totally did. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I did and I didn't. Once the son was introduced, you know, I knew that he was going to be probably one of the main characters that we were going to be following. So handsome. <laughs> <laughs> what? What did I say? <laughs> I said yeah. something about sports. All yeah. right. So let's talk about the, the direction of this film, movie people. Director uh, Gareth Edwards, he has not done a whole lot, uh, known for uh, monsters. Uh, this monsters, is my yeah. this is my theory right now, yeah. because this is happening a lot in Hollywood where um, indie film directors who have directed one film 
or a few films on very low budgets are all of a sudden giving these massive tentpole projects. Uh, I have a, I have another theory. Go ahead. That's it's happening with the uh, director of uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. I can't remember what film he's going to be directing. I think it's Jurassic World, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's 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 this new trend in Hollywood where they're doing this, and I think the reason is because. If it's successful, great, then that person can go on. Um, but the studio can control that person a lot easier. Yes. And if it fails, they can pinpoint the blame on that person as, as somebody that they <laughs> trusted, uh, but they just didn't have what it took to actually get the job done. Oh, I agree. God, that's disappointing. I agree. But, but I, that's how get, the system works. They get credit for being like, you know what? We wanted someone with an indie sensibility, mm-hmm. someone grounded, right. someone that'll make the world real. Yeah. And then they can complete. As soon as that person starts to do those things, they can crush him yep. and make him or her. Well, let's be honest, him do whatever. <laughs> They want. Yeah, I totally agree. That's what happened with David Fincher and Alien 3. I mean, it's been going on yeah. for a while, but it really seems really prevalent right now. Well, it's deeply disheartening. But that being said, he, I think he, for for Godzilla, yeah, like, I thought he put in, I, I haven't seen Monsters. I don't know what that is. I thought we were talking about Monsters, Inc., because I'm a stupid person. But <laughs> he put in, especially for the first half of the film or at least the first third like <clears throat> there's a lot of grounded moments and there's a lot of really really i felt smart filmmaking in this film i thought he did for what was that give me a, the highlight tommy from a directorial uh perspective what is that what is the big what where's the, the like the big highlight sequence in the first half of the movie that's that really showcases him uh, I thought the um, the tension that he put up with the China Syndrome-ish room about the seismic um, events going on and having to run down, trying to not close the door until the last second, I thought that, that was all handled really well. That's a really small moment emotionally in a big film, and I thought he handled it really well. Um, I yeah, also thought, I agree. Yeah. I also thought that there was some – I thought he really used – but I guess that goes more to my Cloverfield thing. But the the um, resistance on showing the monster – sorry, showing Godzilla or any monster, having it happen in uh, TVs in the background, I thought it was hysterical. The uh, hysterical and also scary, but hysterical of having the sun seeing monsters come to life. <laughs> on a TV screen of, like, Fox News uh, while his mom's like, come on, we got to go to bed, turn off the TV when the worlds are happening. I thought there was a lot of... it. Re- there, were, there were choices in this film, and I'll try to wrap it up, that reminded me of a lot of things of Spielberg, to be honest, and as a result, Super 8. But a lot of Spielberg moments, these little moments and these little things, uh, like in Jurassic Park... When um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeff Goldblum was saying, "Go faster, go faster, go faster." Where the T Rex is running after the Jeep, and then there's that one shot in the rearview mirror that says, "Things might be closer than that appears," and the T Rex screams and takes over the entire frame. I thought there were actually a lot of little moments in this movie like that that are either funny or terrifying. 
One, another one that I can point out, and I can't remember the last time that I wasn't talking, but I'm going to keep going, is when uh, they come out of the ash and they see the vague form of something, you can't see what it is, and then it's a parachute. Oh, and there's a man in a parachute. Well, what does that mean? And then all of a sudden, a huge plane that obviously the guy parachuted out of crashes into a building behind them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... You're given so much money and so much effects, but that's really smart. You didn't just use it. Roland Emmerich's Godzilla was the problem with that was it was all filmed from Godzilla's perspective. So you just got numb about buildings being destroyed. And you're saying this, by contrast, you didn't in this film? No, in this film, because I felt he did an incredible job of filming it almost always from human perspective, on the ground or through windows, like the entire the the entire sequence of uh, the um, railway car coming to a stop, and then re going up towards the monster. Like that's that's really smart. I think that's really smart and a really good use of money where it's not just, hey, let's Michael Bay it and throw everything at the wall. Instead, let's come up with this cool, scary, if this was you, how would you feel kind of situation. And I'm done and I'm so exhausted. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking about I can't wait until uh, as an indie uh, director, you get picked to do like, you know, the next something audacious. Uh, oh, it'll be it will be a yeah. disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Tom, maybe you should go watch Monsters. And I, I've only seen it once. Yeah. And I, I do, I do. You know, it's not nothing that I'm like, wow, it's great. Everybody should go watch it. But I remember when I saw it, I thought, wow, this guy was able to pull off. And, and the story is like Mexico has been overrun by these gigantic like insect monster things due to some some type of chemical or nuclear catastrophe or whatever this guy goes down there and he's got a bri- it's almost like escape from new york i gotta go in there and bring this girl out something like that and so it's it's told from their point of view and they're 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 crossing this you know monster infested area and you don't really see a lot of the monsters because it is this small independent film but he created a lot of tension by keeping it focused on sort of the human story of these people and the the, the stresses of of having to travel this route to get through there with where you've got all these things coming at you. And, and I thought that's probably why he got picked for this because that's the thing I did enjoy about it was that it kept it rooted in the, in the human side of it. I think he lost a bit of that towards the end of that may be more the fault of the script and losing its focus on where we're going and you're who talking, we're following you're still talking and why. About monsters, Steve? No, and no, in terms he, of Godzilla now, Godzilla, yeah, okay. it loses, and Godzilla loses that perspective i mean he's it, yes he does shoot from that keeps it rooted but i thought you know we we don't see we lose track of elizabeth Olsen's story she's just hidden in the oh yeah she gets pulled out of you know she's buried with a bunch of people we we lose her story it becomes more about godzilla fighting the monsters which is which is fine but to me not at the expense of the human stories that we've become invested in well in getting there i but, completely but, agree and i guess i just i really appreciated us seeing the monsters so much yeah. from human places, not just because Roland Emmerich would film it from the top. Oh, oh no, he, I agree. he would yeah. film it from you know yeah. Godzilla's point of view, and who right. who cares oh. about that? Oh yeah, when they're parachuting in those halo jumpers, they come in, and it's you've got that shot of like you're coming through the the smoke and the clouds, and it's like I'm falling right past Godzilla's face. 
Oh, it's just yeah. It's such like smart, easy, and probably cheaper choice. Sure. But that most people don't think about because they think that once you've got that budget, you've got that CGI, right. why not show the world? Right. Because once you show the world, everyone now goes fake. Yeah. But, you, you know, but, and, and just a quick point on that, and this is not, I don't mean to derail it, but I, just another sort of minor betrayal. Uh, this, I really thought. So many betrayals. Was, I feel betrayed. Uh, wow. so I really thought this was going to be the first Godzilla movie that where the monster may actually come close to living up to the scale that they set up in the artwork and the, the you know, in the, the trailer reveals, like the teaser reveals. And it didn't come close. It wasn't big enough. Can you believe I would say that? It was not a big enough monster. Go. But I think what I, I also really like about his direction, which kind of comes at what uh, you guys were all saying, is that, yes, I really liked the way that, that he approached the direction of this film from the human's perspective. But I, and I do give him credit for the end of the film with all of the monster fighting, because I actually, for one, I really enjoyed all the monster fights, and I enjoyed all the creatures, and anytime they were on screen, I just couldn't get enough of them. I really enjoyed them. Um, and I just love the monster fighting at the end. And what I do enjoy about that is that it's it's him giving the audience kind of what they want and what they're really kind of expecting in a Godzilla film, which is, you know, big monsters fighting each other and knocking buildings down. And lots of cool things like Godzilla uh, blasting him with his breath and, you know, all those things. And I had an absolute blast watching that. And I really enjoyed that uh, Gareth Edwards was able to kind of direct so much of the film not from that perspective, but then when it came time to finally do the big monster fight um, to really kind of make the audiences cheer for the monsters, he was able to still do that. Oh, yeah, he was able to handle it, right? Yeah. Well, there I, was, I, 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 yeah. The monster fighting in this film, um, all through, whether it was, you know, the, the Mutos attacking the guys on the bridge or the monsters fighting each other in the city, I really felt that he was a director who was capable of creating the space and using the cameras in the right places so that everything was always understandable for me. And I never had a problem with anything in the film as far as knowing where things were and the perspective. And I, I felt he was really nailing all of that. Agreed. That's, when that's when Godzilla point. breathes fire, radioactive fire, down the throat of the Muto and rips its head off. My theater went nuts. That, that was super cool. It yeah. was. I'm just saying that was that was super cool. My theater burst into applause. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I needed I needed that. Uh that, that yeah. All right. Uh the the uh <laughs> screenplay <laughs> I need a drink. Yeah. Uh screenplay was written by Max uh Bornstein, who I think falls into the category that we were just talking about with indie directors, right? I mean, this is a guy who hasn't written a whole lot uh, and is credited with uh, writing the upcoming Seventh Son, the uh, 18th century, um, you know, apprentice story or wizard battle story uh, right. Starring the lovely Jeff Bridges. You mean that the, is, the, the that is Big the... Lebowski sequel yeah. where we've got <laughs> Julianne Moore and the fact that that's slated for a February release just tells you right. that that's just yeah. tells you everything. And, and so yeah. here I wonder, again, not to belabor the point, if this may be uh, you know symptomatic of, of kind of why the film sort of falls apart uh, dramatically, if not visually. Well, and it's interesting that the person who is the more experienced writer, Dave Callahan, who uh, has written, you know, The Expendables and uh, The uh, Doom, you know, some, some bigger films, bigger action films, 
is is on as story only. So it makes me wonder. Um, well, there were a if, lot of a lot of hands on this. Yeah, story through the yeah, development. yeah, exactly. It makes I mean, me wonder Frank, how many hands ended up being on yeah. this and and that Max Borenstein ended up being the one that ended up getting the most yeah. credit in the end per, uh, per WGA. Yeah, this well, yeah, would be I see uh, David Goyer and Frank Darabont also, I guess, took pass took, took some have some writing in this. So, you know, some big names with this again, not getting the credit, but, you know, put some work into this. So and that's where I, I feel like that's why it, comes off as such a mixed bag you've got such strong character pieces but and i you know again not knowing who ultimately is responsible for which pieces but it seems like there was a really good setup and just the follow-through on the tail end like i said the wolverine it's it just they felt like they put it on coast right said, it starts well, we to feel like a hollywood mad lib yes <laughs> so well but see i like the i like the the last climactic act of this film so much more than i did wolverine oh I yeah I, no i i agree i mean yes you know but i mean they're that final bones showdown... for blades <laughs> bones. the fights between the monsters were yes that final showdown was good i had i felt like there were some logic problems and maybe it's just assumptions i was making to just sort of understanding these creatures because i thought okay because we get the over oh, they're laying eggs or whatever, and I thought, okay, if I go back to the beginning of the film in 1999 when they discover these two whatever pods that these two mutos eventually come from, that one has already hatched and has, to me, appeared as if it dragged itself to the ocean because it leaves this wide swath of just you know torn up land, this big trench that it's dragged itself to the ocean. So I'm imagining something like. I'm not sure what at that point. When I see that it hatches into this thing with wings, I'm like, oh, it was like a giant grub worm or something that just, you know, dragged its way there. It, you know, cocooned itself for 15 years absorbing all this energy and then finally hatches into this, you know, winged creature. So then when they this, the female lays all these eggs and I see not one or two, but hundreds, perhaps thousands, with creatures inside that look just like the adult ones but smaller, I thought, well, why would that have to drag itself across the ocean? And how come were these two just in hibernation? Where did they come from? I thought, you know, why weren't there thousands before? Why were there only two? And if they can reproduce by the hundreds, it just didn't make sense. It seemed like we needed to raise the stakes. So let's make the potential of, oh, my gosh, you know, complete destruction of mankind because there'll be hundreds of these things, whereas clearly two can, you know, take out an entire city. The thought of a hundred just seemed like exaggeration just to make you know feel like we're raising the stakes because oh my gosh there's so many of them that you can just you know blow up a tanker truck and it'll take care of all of them no problem it, i i like the logic they'd set up at the beginning and when you throw in something like the nest of hundreds it just again felt like i'd seen it before uh and i guess i i had a flashback to you know the the emmerich godzilla where there was weren't there baby godzillas running there were around baby the godzillas in yeah, the stadium exactly slipping thought, on gumballs that's yes, exactly right exactly. and i thought well the baby monster thing again the visuals <laughs> of that were stunning i really did like the visuals of those eggs but i agree oh, with sure. you and, and and the question that it raised for me was um okay so say humans didn't discover that den of eggs and didn't right. destroy it and they all ended up hatching in 15 years right or and turned into more muto and all of a sudden now there's hundreds of them running around if there's this yin yang monster thing right. going on in in our planet here 
uh, how is Godzilla going to handle all of those? You know, oh, yeah, I mean, it took, it took him like quite a, a bit badass. to just handle those two. Oh, well, <laughs> two, hey, two me... of them just took him down, you know. Right, nerve. right. Yeah. Well, and that's why, because that's that was the thing they found, right? They found the skeleton of Godzilla with the Muto eggs next to it. Is that, am I right in thinking that? It was something like that. It was something that looked larger. And it, so I was trying to bad. listen. Something that was larger than Godzilla, because they thought I thought she said, "Is it him?" And he said, "No, this one's larger." Well, so larger something... than the fifty-four Godzilla. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes, and okay, uh, Tommy, and... were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say I'm so glad that we're bringing this part up because I felt very uneasy for about the first third of the film, feeling like I didn't know what was going on, who knew what, who knew where, and then we got like a Dharma Initiative film strip where they explained (laughs) everything that had happened before, and I was like, oh, I kind of get it, but I just, yeah, I was really unclear about what we knew when and what these spores were, and if Godzilla was trying to help us or just hates these other Cloverfield monsters or whatever. Well, see, to me, the beginning of this film reminded me a lot of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, with Brian Cranston's character being like Roy, yeah. of the, the father who's trying to make sense of all this. And you've got a government that knows something and is hiding it from the people, and he's got a clue that there's something going on. He can't quite put his finger on it. And to me, that was just, I was totally sucked in for that ride. And I, I like the fact that I didn't know everything because I thought, okay, I'm going to get this. We're going to have this discovery but what I got was exposition dump and let's fight. Mm, okay. Yeah. Sounds like Steve was betrayed a little bit too. Oh, so many betrayals. <laughs> I was worried that I was supposed to know more about what was going on than I did. Well, I think you only feel that because it never, there was no resolution to that, that they, okay. they left that off. And I think it's one of the, you know, often I feel like when I'm watching a movie and I go, it feels like they left some scenes out or, they, you know, was there something missing? Was I not paying attention? I think they didn't know where they were going with the story or they made some choices to cut some storylines for whatever reason and or didn't understand how to tie things up or couldn't for whatever reason. And it, the story feels like it's got holes in it because of that. When you have those scientists that, you know, pretty much if you look at the, if you split this movie in, in half and watch the first half and the second half, you've almost got two entirely different movies with two almost entirely different casts, except for, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson sort of bridging the gap. N- not even all that consistently. Uh, but, right. And then you have his wife. And I think it, w- one of you mentioned, we, you know, what, what happened to to her part of the yeah. story. I don't, you know, it, 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 I think that was a miss. And I think, uh, you know, not leveraging her uh, role was, was absolutely a miss uh, because it ends up that she, she, she's just sort of filling a space of cute blonde wife and yeah. chub, she chubby child. Re- yeah. She needed a real B story. Yeah. Like another, oh, yeah. Be- yeah. because the humans, as I said before, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, humans don't really matter in this. Like right. we humans cause a problem and then desperately try to solve the problem that they caused which is the nuclear weapon. It's so weird. Like, if we just... If all the humans were taken away, a jerk shows up, and then another person shows up, and they're both monsters, and they fight it out, and they win in the end. 
Right. And doesn't that seem like uh, like uh, uh, kind of a uh, short sheeting the the um, the message like the message of, of this film? If you go back to the legacy of Godzilla is man created something and you know what really actually as it turns out we can't do anything about it so better give up and just watch what happens so is it kind of like frankenstein's but, monster in that but way again and the, but that's what the that i mean i'm just like i said earlier i think that's what godzilla became over the course of its 28 films it became something that was just a, a fun film to watch monsters fighting each other well and i would so, have said the same thing about those films too yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> they. That's, but I, I think to to say that original. I mean, you just talking specifically the 1954 right. Godzilla, right? Right. I just don't think that this is the film that betrayed that. I think this is a film riding that betrayal that's been going on for 27 other films. Mm. Now there's no a kind of there is officially a legacy of betrayal. Yes. Oh my god. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, when you, when you have like Godzilla versus King Kong or things yeah. like that, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's a uh, betrayed. Yeah, it's officially betrayed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I think that's I, then then we'll call that a missed opportunity. Uh, to do something with to, to actually do something, and that I think is why I'm so frustrated by the first half of this movie. That I think they had the opportunity to do something really grand, and ended up making a monster flick. And because I, I do, and to to ape on that, I love that this was more. Wait, what are the movies I'm about to hold on? Boop boop. All oh, right, I love that this was more deep impact than Armageddon. <laughs> Yes. No, honestly, like that's yeah. like I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to make a joke. Like I love that it I kind of liked its self seriousness. I even liked in the deep opening. impact. Uh, sorry, I was going to say, but even in deep impact, they had a, you know better character development or at least be supporting stories, even if I didn't think it was a good movie. Right. I think that apart from Aaron Nelson, Taylor Nelson, um, I thought that everyone was like serious and game and i believed in them and all that kind of stuff i still have so many problems with how the military handled things but i liked all that like i liked that it took a serious approach and i think that that's what it needed this this movie is deep impact if they killed robert duvall in the first 20 minutes okay wait robert duvall was in deep impact was he one of the astronauts yes what did he die? Oh, he, he, oh, was, he was, was Spurgeon Tanner. He was the legacy astronaut that they put in. You're made to think like as if for like PR, like, oh, you know, we can do this. And then he ends up being great. Pete is right and nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Pete Wright promise. <laughs> oh, God. That's a terrible promise. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's a they, terrible promise. That's a terrible promise, and that's your legacy. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, okay. All right. Well, what else? You know, what else uh, jumps out at you on this film? Are we ready to uh, to start the uh, wrap up? Anything else we we that really we want to talk about? I want. Uh, can I? Can I deliver another one of my patented Tom Metz bon mots? Oh, please. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, I like I like the, the idea because I keep I keep harping on the idea that the military didn't seem to realize that there were monsters, and so they kept doing things like, "All right, so we're going to put you in here, and we've got snipers on the roof." What? 
snipers on the roof, they, they are monsters. <laughs> what is a sniper rifle going to do? No, thought that would get a bigger response. The, <laughs> the only other thing, now that that ate S word, the only other thing is I was, the thing that really drives the movie is Ken Watanabe's Pete. You talked about this, about the idea of Exposition Magoo, or I think maybe it was Steve. Um, but the fact that maybe we should trust in Godzilla because he's here to write to I'm sorry to write the balance or create the balance right was incredibly forced and just like clearly made for a culture of like yeah Godzilla he's on our he's on our our team as someone who was not that and was expecting that we were trying to kick the s word out of Godzilla the whole time it just felt so cheap and so weird um, oh, and also, yeah. uh, I'm, uh, I moved into a new apartment. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like nothing I said anyone cares about. So that's, no, cool. I, I do. I do Tom, because I, I think for somebody that doesn't have that history. And again, it speaks to where they sort of left some pieces out of the story because like clearly the he, he has, this is something he's been researching for 15 years and if not longer, cause they talk about the history of that company Monarch. And then it goes back and that they are sort of the custodians of the secret knowledge. And we don't get – again, who's Monarch? What are they doing other than, okay, the secret Dharma group that's been around working on this forever? More about them and what what did they know? And as we – you know, to have Brian Cranston, you know, having discussions with them about how, what they've been hiding and what they really know and how, how ominous – that is right. What a fun story that is. Yes, it, and it doesn't think... have to be about atomic age. It can be about right. to make it more timely about government cover up and secrecy, which is right. always timely. Right, and I think you, you know you you do point out the fact he just sort of says it is sort of like well because he understands it then if he says it well then clearly everybody else should just understand that hey because right. I think he says it five or six times of you know the the missiles you're gonna put them out there and lure them out you know just step back and let godzilla he's the balance he'll take care of this it, he said it, it several it, times and it just yeah. like you said it felt forced because we didn't know where that was coming from right we, we missed that yeah uh, I, I, I dropped another mic I enjoyed, right, the, I enjoyed the score. Like I said, like with the... I thought you know, the score was fantastic. You know, it was, it was great. They and, actually you know, don't play that, the score at all in non-Atmos theaters, so I didn't even hear it. <laughs> you didn't even there's get just, dialogue. There's no music. <laughs> you had the theater owners just reading from the script. <laughs> <laughs> but, over, I mean, overall, it's... You know, like I said, it reminds me of Wolverine. You can, you can sit there and you can enjoy this film. It's nothing that's, you know, I would say... If you're looking for something fun and enjoyable to see, it, you, you will be entertained. Um, and it's I went smarter than it needs to be. Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, you I know, think I, so. Went with my youngest daughter, and I said, "Okay, what did you think?" Yeah, it was good. She said, "I said compared to Captain America, oh no, Captain America is way better." So I'd say if you haven't seen Captain America, go see that. If you've already seen it, you're sort of biding your time for some of the later summer films. Yeah, go see it. You'll have a good time. You know, fighting monsters and yeah, the the final fight between you know the Mutos and Godzilla. There's some there's some really cool stuff, but yeah, just sort of shut your brain off and sit back and enjoy it. And surprisingly, uh, about a film that turned out much less than I thought, much more than I thought it would be about a big fake thing fighting another big fake thing or two of them, because you know that's not my jam. 
I thought it was a lot smarter than it needed to be. It was super dumb at times, but a lot <laughs> yeah. smarter. It had such amazing sequences within it uh, that I was. Uh, I give it a. I give it a Tommy Gold. I don't know what that is. Wow. I'm just trying to think of a new thing. Go ahead. I'm that done. surprises me so much. I thought, well, of course. If anybody is going to be ready to diss on this film, it's going to be Tommy. Because why? Giant things throwing things into other things. Because I went back and forth. I really got upset with the film, and I was really let down. And then I took it for what it was. Yeah. And then when it what it was, for a film this size, for a film this promoted, for a film all this kind of stuff, it had more smarts than ever get into stuff like this. Fair captivating, enough. captivating sequences. I mean, like right before Godzilla's getting his big thing, the pens roll down the table because the thing that's right. like yeah. that's like Jurassic Park, the water in the cup. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or even like, the the scene with the family on the the beach, which you know it's like they're seeing the explosions, and the little girl turns, starts walking to the shore as the water is receding, and. My daughter leans over and goes, oh. her parents are horrible. She's just, like, walking off to the ocean, and there's things exploding, and they're not keeping track of her. Well, you know, you talk about— I was about... waiting for her to, to get, you know— She's like, no, not the dog, the dog. Yes. Let them save the dog. The dog. <laughs> that sequence I, was I, all too brief, but you talk about uh, homage to yeah. Spielberg. Right. I mean, that yeah. dog was freaking yeah. pippin, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, but it bothered me because they had just previously had that Muto set off an EMP blast that took out all the electricity, but then as the tsunami comes through, it's knocking the power out of all the buildings. I thought, didn't we already lose power? Yeah. Ah, well, whatever. I'll watch the dog run. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I say one last dumb thing? And I'm so sorry because I know I'm dragging it out, no, but it just ahead. makes me laugh and I'll feel sad if I don't do it. <laughs> Is that in the in the there's that one dumb shot in the final big like monsters, EMPs, the world is ending. And then you see it the one time they roll an emeritate is there's people at work. They're oh, yes. at, oh, right. Yes. They're, in, they're in an office building, clearly yes. having a meeting. And then they're yeah. like, what? Monsters? And I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing about that of like, what meeting is so impossible where everyone in the entire city isn't just going, oh, my God, monsters. Instead, they're saying, Johnson, where's that report? I just thought that was so funny. Why are you still at work? Okay, I'm done. Yeah, that was brilliant. That Andy, was brilliant. Andy, what do you what do you got to I, wrap it up? Well, I I have two two points that actually we didn't discuss that uh, yeah. I'm going to throw into my wrap up. Um, one is uh, just the fact that I believe uh, today I think that there was that new report about that largest dinosaur bone found yes. down in Argentina, and they think that this dinosaur um, was the size of potentially as uh, 40 meters long or 130 feet long and that made me think of that what's the uh, long article you put that into a thing of like how long that is i'm not they smart. said yeah they have it here they said it's like two trucks with a trailer each one in front of the other and the weight of 14 elephants together oh my god so that's that's how they describe this this particular dinosaur um and so at 40 meters long, that is still smaller than the original Godzilla, which was 50 meters tall. 
and now this Godzilla, uh, and I'm looking at that article that you sent, Pete, about yeah, the ever-increasing size of Godzilla. And now this Godzilla is estimated to be somewhere between 120 and 150 meters tall. Um, so it's it's huge. It's it's just the size of Godzilla has vastly grown. And I just find found that funny. I actually didn't have any problem with the size. I know you said you felt he actually was too small. <laughs> so I was like, wow, he's really got to be growing. <laughs> but uh, I, I found I found that interesting. But uh, that's just something that stuck in my in my craw after I saw that uh, article about that dinosaur bone today. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, Dolby Atmos, because seeing it in Dolby Atmos, this was the first film, I think I've seen three films in Dolby Atmos now, this was the first one where I really felt they did an incredible sound design, where they had sounds so specific in different parts of the theater for, for many scenes, where I was so impressed by the sound work on this film. Um, the scene when they are in the egg chamber, and you see all the eggs, and you hear these little sounds all over. I mean, those were literally coming from individual pockets of the, the space around me as they were Absolutely. doing that. And yes. this this film was the best uh, sound mix that I have heard in Dolby Atmos. So I highly recommend anyone who wants to see this film going to check it out in a Dolby Atmos theater if you have one near you. I'm super jealous. <laughs> super jealous. Uh, I but, do. Go ahead. I was going to say, but but as my wrap up, I mean, I I really enjoyed the film. I found this a film that I could easily shut my brain off in and just have a great time watching the monsters fight. Yes, I had some problems with it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's something that I would go back and watch that frequently, but I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I think I fall into the Tommy camp on this one. Tommy gold. Tommy, Tommy gold. gold. Oh, God. That old chestnut <laughs> that I just came up with. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I just have to add, Andy, cause you didn't read the best part of that, uh, article from Deep oh, Sea yeah. News. Uh, it closes with, I think, uh, some uh, important measurements. Uh, of course, quote, and this is uh, an article from uh, who wrote this? Well, it's unattributed. Thank you. Um, the, he says, uh, of course, the real problem of a 55,000 ton Godzilla is the urine production. Using the handy kaiju post, we can quickly calculate <laughs> that 12,921,400 gallons of urine would be produced per day. That's about a quarter of the hold of the largest production oil tankers. Yeah, that was, oh. so, that was a good fact that at, I did leave out. At no point in the film do we see all the people who drowned when uh, Godzilla urinates. And I have to imagine that would be a tsunami in itself. <laughs> He's I horrifying. Assumed he, I assumed he I'd rather be blasted fire. by his fire. <laughs> <laughs> but fire. I don't know what's worth, like drowning in Godzilla pee or drowning or like burning alive in Godzilla fire. Right. Right. Well, he spends all his time in the water. He just goes in the pool. Maybe he goes in, there, in the comes... pool. Yeah. He's the worst <laughs> violator. It's like grown-ups. Uh, I, you know, to wrap up, you, believe it or not. As frustrating as this film is for me, I I also I you know I feel like shutting down the brain is it's it's a popcorn movie. You get you get the popcorn, you get yourself a little something something to snack on, and you can shut down your brain. And the, it stands out for some really impressive visuals. Um, it's a it is um, you know it it's a big screen spectacle. It's not one I'm gonna rush out to see again, unless of course we miraculously sprout an Atmos theater here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but you know it's a it's a summer tentpole. I'm really disappointed, mostly because of the opportunity, I think, that was really lost. And I'm sick of having that thought. I feel like I've had that, that feeling for 15 years. 
Every mm. summer. Every summer. It just Every makes summer. me sad. And so, you know, that's it. Uh, but now is, I think we, we can say, our very favorite part of the show. We need to rank this. Can we get a Godzilla flick chart? Flick chart! Flick chart! Let's go, Godzilla! It's flick chart time! Please head over right now to flickchart.com slash TNR Film Board, and you can see the rankings of all of our special edition film board shows. And uh, let's see, is this going to crack the top ten? All right, here we go, guys. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's awesome. That's good. Godzilla or Cloud Atlas. I... Uh, I would go Cloud Atlas. I would also go Cloud Atlas. Still abstaining. It's on my oh. need to see list. And so, Tommy, right. you haven't have you seen Cloud Atlas, Tom? I totally watched it to abstain. <laughs> no, still haven't seen it. <laughs> All right. Godzilla or the Wolverine, just for you, Steve. Oh no. Uh I I, I will have to say Godzilla because of the <laughs> Okay, man in suit versus man in suit. I'll take the Godzilla man in the suit versus the old guy in the steel samurai suit. So, Godzilla. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Godzilla. I'm all Godzilla on this one. Well, you know, I'd probably do Wolverine. But it doesn't really matter. So, who's, who's, who's really keeping score here? That's right. Godzilla or Thor, the Dark World. Thor. Which one was the? Which one was Thor? Was that the second one? Yeah, that was the the second one. Christopher Eccleston is the weird elf guy. I would do. I would do Godzilla. Godzilla for me, Tommy. (sighs) Oh no, it's Thor. It's more fun because it's got science. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but also, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna stop doing that right away. I, I could watch just the monster fight in Godzilla uh, over and over instead of anything in Thor. Oh, you so really didn't insane. like Thor that much? Because I, no, I mean, I mean, know. I enjoyed it, but it's you know, I I didn't it didn't knock my socks off or anything. Literally. But oh man, <laughs> uh, you know no. we're tied. So who's gonna do a uh, who's gonna yeah, do? A, I'm not, a, I'm not fl- budging because the, uh, Thor didn't make me angry. There, it was, I'm, you know, it wasn't great. I'd say they're better Marvel films, there's better films than Thor. But You're I didn't okay walk out going, Ugh. yeah, yeah. And I'll probably go back and listen and hear all these problems I had with Thor, sure. But as of right now, I'm feeling bitterly disappointed by the beginning of this film. Yeah, I'm kind of there a... too. So let's uh, let's uh, let's do a rock paper scissors. You ready? <laughs> Andy, who's, Andy who's, you and me. Andy, you and me. Okay. Yeah, all right, ready? One, One, two, two three, scissors. Rock. That's uh, not how oh, that yes. game should work. <laughs> there was such a delay. There that's was, ridiculous. There, there, there's there was not a delay. a delay on my end. Uh, we did exactly. We, sure. we've, we've done this before, and it, it never really plays out it doesn't in my, work in my very favor. Well. <laughs> oh, Godzilla, right, Godzilla or is. Prometheus? I would do Godzilla. <laughs> oh, that's actually interesting. Oh, it's been... <laughs> Because I'm not a Prometheus fan, oh, but I'm gosh, so interested just... in parts of Prometheus. And I also want it to be all about my thought process. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> See, this, is, this, is, this is where this I This is am bitter disappointment deeper. versus bitter disappointment. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to say it. That's so perfect. Because of it's just like, like so much oh, promise and, and so just... much disappointment. Yeah. Oh. Um, for me, the, the, the anger that I had about things in Godzilla 
about snipers and yeah. still bringing a gun to a monster fight is yeah. less than all yeah. of the things that angered me in Prometheus. So I'm going to go with uh, Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I also will go Godzilla because as much as I feel uh, these little betrayals in Godzilla, I think Godzilla really ultimately betrayed itself. Prometheus really betrayed me. Personal. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Take that, Ridley. I, I want you. Wow. I want you to have yeah, like a blood debt with every filmmaker. <laughs> That's perfect. It starts with Ridley yeah. Scott. The line yeah. must be drawn here. No further. Oh, yeah. awesome. All right, so Godzilla wins that one. And we're yeah. at Godzilla versus Divergent. Divergent. Oh, fabulous. I deeply yes. look forward to you gentlemen hashing this out. What? what D- Divergent versus yeah, I, Godzilla? I thought yeah. we didn't see Divergent. We did. That was two Not months only ago. Did we see, yeah, it was only oh. two months ago. <laughs> so remember the five factions, and we all enjoyed that. The Pete the one that didn't, didn't had problems, and Tom and Andy and I strongly defended it and enjoyed oh, it. Oh, you know, that's right. Yeah, I, I, you guys have no trouble with it. So I imagine you guys are divergent over Godzilla. I right? would pick Godzilla still. Are you, wait, wait. I like your... Divergent, but I, I enjoyed Godzilla more. Because it's got monsters ripping it's monsters. off each other. Yeah. Yes. This is why Jurassic Park 3 is a guilty pleasure for me, because I just oh. enjoy watching the monsters running around. <laughs> well, even, even, even now that I have read all of the books in the series of Divergent, yeah. and I know the entire story, I'm still going to say did Godzilla. It. I did. I did the entire, entire thing. Uh, I, I don't know eight. that that's really a right, appropriate response. No, that no, you can read. <laughs> that you can read. Hooray! Uh, I would say Divergent. Steve. Yeah, I was. I didn't. I w- didn't walk out of theater angry with Divergent, and I, I agree that it's they're both films have flaws. But if I ter- look in terms of what the films were trying to set out and accomplish, Divergent maybe had a set a bar lower for itself but it got there whereas godzilla had established something and then fell far short of that and in what it was trying to accomplish i think it it let itself down whereas divergent was consistent in what it was unto itself wow (laughs) steve my my favorite part of listening to you is that at times you're like you sound like a super young hip guy, and then at times you sound like a fussy old man. And I don't know what I sound like, so that's not a that's not a discredit. I just sound like a drunk weirdo. But like, I just love that at times you're like Mister on the ball, and then at times you're like Get off my lawn. I love it. Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness! You know what? I think, I, yeah. I think I'm going to switch to Divergent just for all of that. I I am too. Actually, for the same reason, I I have been swayed by the congressman from Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so that that should right. put us. Uh, it should be That's the it. end, right? Yeah, we're number thirteen out of twenty-two. Wow, thirteen out of twenty-two. So it's now sandwiched right between Divergent and Prometheus. That's right. Yes, it is. Oh. Oh, weird. Oh, huh. dear gentlemen. Well, this has been a uh, an enthusiastic romp down uh, uh, Destruction Lane. Thank you all so much for your time. We're, we, I don't, you know, it's a big summer, and I think there are big summer things coming up. So I think whatever happens, you can bet 
uh, we're going to be dishing about something big next month. Absolutely. Mm. Andy Nelson, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, you bet. Steve Sarmento. I'm far less kindly this week, but I enjoyed speaking with all you gents. And Tommy Handsome. <laughs> Always a pleasure. <laughs> uh, I'm Pete Wright. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week on the next reel. I, you know, my my sense of kind of what. Wow! Did somebody just right? fall off a chair? <laughs> Is it, are we okay? Did Chad join us? What's going on? Tommy, hello, <laughs> Tom. He left and he stumbled. He's on his way to the bathroom and he stumbled over his mini bar. <laughs> he, he, no, he was done. He mic drop. I'm done. <laughs> he really was trail. done. <laughs> he really was done. Wow. Okay. And now, now he's so done, he's just, he's really not even here. Is he disconnected? Okay, Mark, 38 minutes, 36 minutes. He's still on the, he's still so no, He's still, he's still yeah. showing there. Oh, no, nope, Oh, he left done. the call. Wow. Oh, he's done. He's done. He must have, geez, I hope he's okay. <laughs> he just fell down the stairs. I'm going I'm to join him again. Oh my the God. call was coming oh. from inside the house. <laughs> Is, I flushed the toilet no, in the you're gonna, down of, there. Of course you need to tell us what just happened. <laughs> I went over. <laughs> I put it on. I thought I put it on mute. And I went over to get more ice for my water, which I guess sounded like a crazy thing. And yeah. then I heard you guys screaming about what happened. And so I immediately <laughs> pressed back on call, which I assume the way to get back on is an upside down red phone. <laughs> because I'm the stupidest person in the world. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Oh, I'm so dumb. But no, I was like, no, it's just ice. And then I ran over and then it freaked me out. I'm sorry. Oh, I oh it's worse. far less sinister that than we imagined. Oh, it was really? much less sinister. Yeah. Yeah. That That's was funny. super funny. Pretty funny. You're, you're, all right. So now the pressure. The yeah. All right. So good show, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> the pressure is... You were done. You said you were done. That's that right. Mic drop. I loved. I did hear that from my fridge of the idea of me just being like, and Tommy's out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm here and I love you. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Egger's tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. 
And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.